Hello and welcome to another Use of Force. This is week 43, our second week in the Bronx. We're walking the area around the botanical gardens. And this Use of Force instance took place in 2018 in the neighborhood of Belmont. I'll start by reading the NYPD Use of Force report. On January 29th, 2018, at approximately 1,943 hours, uniformed officers responded to a 911 call of an in-progress assault with a knife in the confines of the 48th precinct. The officers en route to the location observed the male subject armed with a knife in his hand, chasing a male victim around on the street. The officers instructed the subject to drop the knife to no avail. The subject, still holding the knife, shifted his attention away from the victim and advanced towards the responding officers instead. As the subject advanced to approximately six feet away from the officers, the officers discharged their firearms, striking the subject. The subject was removed to the hospital and was pronounced deceased at 1959 hours. A KABAR knife was recovered at the scene. The toxicology report indicated that there was neither alcohol nor controlled substances in the subject's system at the time of his death. Right. So we have um, some additional information on this one, both in the reporting and from some testimonials from friends and loved ones as kind of a, a vigil that's preserved online. But let's get to the details of the instance itself first. Right, so the man who was killed in this incident was named Michael Hansford. He was 52 years old. And what it seems like happened is that his landlord had earlier in the evening informed him that he would be evicted for not paying rent and that he would be evicted in two weeks time. Right. And to that, Michael, you know, according to the landlord, pulled out a box cutter and tried to attack the landlord with the, the box cutter utility knife. And the landlord was able to get him calmed down with the help of another person in the building. But then Michael was able to get out of the area that the landlord was holding him in and get upstairs and get another knife. Yeah. And it sounds as though someone else witnessed all of this happening and called the police and that the landlord was possibly trying to subdue the situation on his own but that the uh, another tenant or a bystander was the person that actually called 911 uh-huh And 
We found out that Michael Hamsford had been injured and unable to work, but didn't want to go on disability. And so that was the reason why he wasn't able to pay his rent. Right. I believe it was a stroke that he had suffered. I don't know if it was also an injury and a stroke. Right. No, you're, you're right. It was a, I guess I used the word injured incorrectly. It was a, a medical incident right. rather than a, yeah, that left him disabled rather than uh, an injury. You're, you're right. Right. And his profession and passion was bikes. He was a bike messenger and was into, you know, trail biking and all that. And it, it seems that there was a lot of his identity tied into that and also a, a kind of a, a toughness and a, a, a drive to push himself and strokes can be debilitating. And that combination could potentially lead someone to feel very depressed. Right. And in the actual depiction of events, it's both a depiction of events of people that were there and the ultimate body cam footage that was released despite uh, complaints from the union, the NYPD union. It was, he was claiming that, or he was saying that he, he wanted to be killed. Right. It seems like this wasn't an incident where he wanted to commit suicide by cop going into it. It seems like he had an altercation with his landlord and by the time the police arrived, he was yelling, shoot me, shoot me. And he was probably, yeah, struggling with some sort of fear or, you know, feeling of giving up or, you know, there was clearly something happening that was making him just want to give up at that point. And yes, as I, as I referenced earlier, there, there is a website that serves as a tribute to him, almost like a, a guest book of well-wishers. And on that site, which paints a very different story than what you'll get in the typical news reporting, there was the description that in addition to the stroke being a, an issue for him, that it physically and mentally, there was also just the uh, medical bills that were involved that right. perhaps put him in a place where he was unable to pay the rent. You right. Know, and I think it said that the medical bills from the stroke wiped out all of his savings and all the money that he had to his name right and then ultimately because of the stroke he wasn't able to work anymore and so yeah I mean I, I feel like I can pretty easily put myself in the mindset of someone that would be going through something like this you know you're to be put in a position where you 
have a medical issue that makes it so that you can't do the thing that you do. Your job is very physical, being a bike messenger. And to have used up all your money all of a sudden in a medical event, which you can't do anything to prevent. And then, yeah, to be told by your landlord that they don't, ultimately they don't have any compassion for you or what you're going through and they just need you to pay your rent. You can't pay your rent. Like what, it's an impossible situation for so many people. That would be an impossible situation that's facing being homeless then with with a medical condition you probably you know most likely still suffering from some after effects of a stroke and yeah I think this this situation is one that is easier for me personally while we're talking about it to imagine what that must feel like and just how distraught I think anyone would be in that situation. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned briefly that the body cam footage was something that was released later after the incident. I think it did take quite some time to get out to the public and there was especially the people in the neighborhood, people that knew Michael Hansford and also knew his landlord, they wanted to see for themselves what had happened and make their own decisions about whether or not this was justified. And yeah, the police union was really pushing back against having the body cam footage released. And this was like we said, in 2018. So it was only a couple years before it became more of a regular thing to have the body cam footage released. And it was still fairly new that the police officers were even required to be wearing a body cam. Yeah. And I think their, their reasoning was that they felt like this footage would be asked for basically to tell a narrative like an anti-police narrative and while I guess I can kind of understand that I also think that it's no different than asking for any other security footage from any other incident or event that would happen when you're just trying to tell a full story and you're trying to understand what happened that's the whole that's the whole point of recording is so that people can actually see what happened and yeah it was pretty frustrating because it didn't really seem like in the ultimate reporting once the footage did come out like there was anything that was particularly incriminating on the police or like any anything additional to what was already known it just seemed like they were defending the right to not release it because they were afraid of yeah there being uh 
it either being misconstrued in the public or just not wanting to set a precedent for more of this release to happen so yeah and i think i think the patrick lynch who we hear about all the time the you know president of the benevolent society or i think they're called something like that he's very you know wants to always be supportive of the other police officers and very much never wants to say that anyone did anything wrong right and what ends up happening is that the the anyone that's making these decisions tends to side with the police and tends to just automatically say that they were just doing their job and then the reporting ends up being the headlines all end up being you know, this was justified, court rules, this was justified, or head of the benevolent association says that this was justified, or sergeant of the precinct or, you know, commanding officer says this was just, and it's, it's all, it, we read it over and over that these killings are justified, but what does that even mean when you're not able to actually make that decision for yourself or when people that aren't associated with the police aren't the ones making the decision. When it's all just this brotherhood telling us what to think, I think we really, it's good, it's good that we are now learning to not just take them for their word, but I do think that there's a lot of unlearning that needs to happen. Yeah. Um, I think we've also talked about this a bit in a few of the other incidents we've talked about, but the scenario here, it, I would like to imagine that there would be another way for police officers to come to a scene like this and calm everyone down and rather than getting involved in this way where it sounds like they just made everything more agitated uh-huh. you know that michael hansford did have a knife that's true but before police got there he was in a confined space with his landlord with a knife and the landlord managed to subdue him and control him without getting hurt he got us his jacket got a little cut on the shoulder but it didn't go through to his skin and he wasn't able to keep him subdued, but he was able to at least manage the situation to some degree. And it just makes me question why if this landlord who's not trained to be a police officer, not trained to handle situations like this, purely just owns the building and knows this person, it it confuses me that someone a civilian could manage a situation better than the people that we pay and say are trained to manage these situations. Yeah. I mean, I think we said this last episode and I'm sure we've said it on previous episodes as well, but I, I really think the police to their speak to their side for uh, in this particular point are 
in a, in a place where they come to a scene and there is so much baggage that any any person could have about what it means that the police are now here. Yeah. That they already have to be excellent at the escalation because their very presence is escalation. Right. And I think that speaks to a place where, you know, people are talking about uh, rolling back what it means to have police presence and what responsibilities we want the police to have. I think, you know, that I, I don't know if we're going to be in a place where police could respond and be de-escalators in most situations for decades or, you know, yeah. I think that we should really start just narrowing down what we want police to be there for and disputes over rent probably isn't one of those things. Right. And I think, I mean, I think a very quick argument would be that disputes over rent shouldn't be something that the police come to necessarily, but here we have someone that had a weapon and I think a lot of people are going to say, well, who is it that we want to be in a situation like this? Like if we're not sending someone that's armed and trained to use their own weapons, then everyone's going to be in a dangerous situation. I think that's the yeah, and I think narrative. that's, that's and, fair. And there, there's something fair about it. I don't know that that's necessarily. I don't think that that's what I think personally. I, I would say it should. I don't know that that's the truth. It should be people with similar training, but just not named police or right. not. And and I and think maybe some people could roll their eyes at the idea that it's like, well, you're just going to like put a different hat on somebody. But yeah, basically, like yeah. The, there is significant, uh, you know, meaning behind who you're sending into these situations when like in any any instance, doesn't matter if the person is emotionally disturbed, not emotionally disturbed, they're going to be heightened in a state where they are not whatever their most rational version of themselves is. Yeah. And this is going to sending a police officer into this situation is just going to escalate that. I agree. And I think, I mean, I, I think in an ideal situation, we would also be able to have a trained professional that is someone other than the police and is someone that doesn't show up with a gun. You know, I, I don't think that people should be sent into dangerous situations to protect people without some measure of security but I in an ideal world I would love to see our law enforcement whatever that looks like not be fully armed and not be so quick to grab the gun to use you know I like it seems like so in this particular incident the police showed up and they're yelling drop the knife drop the knife it's immediately this, this yelling and shooting. As soon, you know, and then he comes within, even in the NYPD report, it says once he came within six feet of the officers, they start shooting. Yeah. And six feet is, we all know how far six feet is at this point. It's how far we're supposed to be around, away from everyone. Like, it's not that close. Yeah. I don't. I try to even imagine myself if I was dealing with someone that had a knife and they got within six feet of me. I don't, 
I mean, I don't carry a gun, so that's easy, but I don't know that I would immediately think, oh, I've got to shoot this person now. That's my only option. Like, I feel like at that point, there's just other, I just feel like there should be other options. Mm. Yeah. So I don't know that there's anything else that we found out about this particular incident. The two officers that were involved were on the force two years and three years respectively, but they weren't named. I didn't find any lawsuits or legal documents from the aftermath. If anyone wants to look into the website that Mike mentioned with the memorial that told stories about Michael Hansford, it's a nice way to better understand who he was before all of this happened. And as always, if anyone has any additional information to share with us, either about this incident or any others that we are covering during this year, uh, feel free to reach out and we will talk to you again soon. Yep. I will, just for your purposes to make it easier, it's messarchives, M-E-S-S, archives.com for Mike Hansford. That's the memorial page for him. And as Jesse said, yes, if you know anything about this, you want to discuss it further, as always, please reach out. We're always interested to learn more information. And until next time, take care. Bye. Bye.